Hello, everyone. I'm Jen, and welcome to another episode of Monogamish Pod. On this week's episode, we'll be talking to Lotus Rope Wolf about their journey into non-monogamy and polyamory, and all about being a sensual dominant. But before we dive into that episode, I want to talk to you about our sponsor, AltPlayground.net. Now, there's been some exciting news out today. Taboo Social Club is reopening. So for those of you diehard fans of Taboo, you can definitely check them out once they reopen. And they'll have some amazing surprises in store in partnership with Alt Playground. And that's happening on June 18th and the 19th. So join Alt Playground at Taboo Social Club on June 18th for the grand reopening and see what kind of sexy, exciting things we have in store there. Of course, as most of us get vaxxed and waxed, there are going to be more club openings all over the country, and Alt Playground's definitely in partnership with some amazing people to give you some quality lifestyle entertainment. So don't wait. Go on ahead. Head on over to altplayground.net. Check out what sneak peeks may be in store for Taboo Social Club, and we will maybe not me but maybe i will be (laughs) we'll see you there so now that i've talked to you about taboo social club i want to talk to you a little bit about why the episode this week is late as you guys may know i am in jamaica and i'm spending time with my family we're doing some work on the house doing some electrical work some painting etc there was just a lot of stuff going on this week and on the day when i was trying to finalize all of the episode stuff there were significant electrical outages in my house, like on and off, nonstop for hours. So I was not able to put out the episode I had planned and my file actually corrupted because yay, that's what happens when your internet keeps chipping in and out. So great. So fabulous. But I've managed to put this episode together. I can't wait for you guys to hear it. So here is my conversation with Lotus Wolf. So we have Lotus Rope Wolf here with us tonight on Monogamish Pod, just talking about journeys, transitions, ropes, domination, <laughs> non-monogamy, many things. We're covering many things yeah. on this episode, but we'll just start off very simple. Lotus Rope Wolf, tell the people who you are. Tell them something about you. I am a professional dominant. I am also a BDSM and kink and intimacy educator. I work with my partner, Blaine. I identify as queer. My love style is polyamorous. And uh, I was born in the island of Dominica. We love to bring other Caribbean people on the podcast. I have never been to Dominica. It's a beautiful island, too. It's the nature island of the Caribbean. It has 365 rivers on the island. Its native name is Waiti Kubuli, which means tall or voluptuous is her body. It's a very mountainous island and has black sand beaches. I can tell you so much about the country and history, even though I, I spent only about half my life there because it's still a huge part of me. And actually, in the way that I, I play and as a dominant, I have this sensual domination style that play comes from some of the most um, amazing times I've had in my life I really think about the times where I was the most happiest and I've been able to use that sort of playful energy and that that sensuality in my work Okay. Did you realize that you were polyamorous as a child or is that something that you figured out later on in life? 
I knew as a child that I could like more than one person because I would like certain people for certain things. And I was very, I was very much able to say, oh, I like this person because of this. I would like to hold their hand. Or I like this person because of this. And I would like to spend time with them at the arcade playing video games and laughing. I like their sense of humor. Mm-hmm. It did not mean that I liked one person more than the other or that I couldn't because it was happening inside of me. I knew that I had feelings for multiple people. Um, I didn't have the language around it and the tools to really facilitate ethical non-monogamy until you know I was dating and then really explored it when I was in my 20s when I was exploring BDSM. What actually happened was I was exploring ethical non-monogamy and I found BDSM because the people at this munch, which is an event where people come together, eat, drink, and just talk in a public setting, all those people were kinksters and they were having a munch and they were talking about being ethically non-monogamous. And I just started learning as much as I could. So tell me what you thought would have been your first intimate relationship as an ethically non-monogamous person or maybe unethically like how what was your first foray into non-monogamy my first foray was in a relationship where i spent about a decade with someone and then we had a lot of long distance in our relationship and so i was able to learn how to communicate via long distance and we at certain times we had our relationship open and we would date other people and so while we were living together we decided we wanted to explore and date other people and so while navigating that we did a lot of the things that people tell you to do which is read research you want to read this book and that book and read this article you want to meet people and talk to people about their experiences. So all of that stuff was done. And I have to say that even if you do all those things, that does not mean that your experience with polyamory is always going to be great right off the gate. There is just so many things that you need to learn that it's not covered in books. Oh, yeah. Big facts. Tell me about that part. I already know that. Yeah. (laughs) Were you guys ever completely monogamous in that long distance stage or was it just like a flowing in and out sort of vibe? It was, we were flowing in and out. There were times where we were monogamous, times where we weren't. And so you mentioned being queer. Is that something that you discovered as a child as well? Or is that something you more came into as an adult? That's definitely something I discovered as a child. So tell me about realizing that you were queer as a child it was just like oh this person is attractive or i like this person but it wasn't until i was a teenager where i kissed the first person of opposite sex and then i was like okay yeah but i had as an adult now i realized that um i'm queer it's like i like who i like when i like and that's like my business i don't really have to explain that to anyone and i am in this relationship with my partner and we're heterosexual looking it's we present as heterosexual because of uh, because of who we are so what age did you really start having those feelings that you think i'm not sure i can't even really pinpoint it oh so it's just been like a forever lives yeah it's just like oh yeah 
I can tell you when mine started. So when I was six, I was doing non-monogamy where my best friend and I shared a boyfriend. <laughs> and then no. when I was seven, there was a girl I wanted to desperately be best friends with that was not my original best friend. And I wanted to live with her and sleep in the bed with her and have her parents make us food. It was amazing. A typical <laughs> seven-year-old dream. Wow. Yeah. So I figured out at that age, that's what I wanted. I knew I wanted a husband and a wife at that time. Wow. Of course, as I got older and gender evolves and my understanding of that and sexuality evolves and my understanding of that, I can now say that I'm a pansexual woman <laughs> and I like what I like. <laughs> but cishet men are also ooh. To all the cishet men out there, I don't hate you. The bar is in hell for you in general. I don't genuinely flock to cishet men for anything other than the occasional sexual encounter. That's fair. Yeah. If the average cishet man does not have the emotional intelligence to engage in what you're trying to engage in, then you don't want to engage with them. You don't have to. Don't. Yeah. That part. See, the joys of being pansexual. I can choose not to engage. But yeah, so it's interesting. You've had these feelings for a long time. And so the domination, did that come in also as a child? Or is that something you just learned? They said that you discovered BDSM later in life. But yeah. thinking back, can you say, yeah, that should have been a sign? I don't really know if it could have been a sign. I always wanted to be a very assertive person who was a person who had great leadership qualities, but was also nurturing and tender. And that's like the style of domination that I have. And I think it really comes from just what I think a balanced love or care should look like. I'm going to tell you what to do, but I'm also going to stroke your hair while I do it. Is that about right? It's That's like... about right. And also it's for a goal of bettering yourself. It's for improvement. It's whatever discipline that happens is for improvement. Okay. So do you have any submissives right now? Yes. My partner is my life partner, my business partner, and we also have a BDSM relationship where I am the dominant and she is submissive. Okay. So that's your only submissive? Yes. Because okay. that type of relationship for me is a very serious commitment and I don't want to be spreading myself thin and having people connected to me when they're not being fulfilled. Would you say that there is a more intimate connection that you have with people who practice BDSM and who you're in that space with, as opposed to any other romantic intimate relationships? Yes, there are people that I've had scenes with and or done BDSM with that I'm more connected or feel more open and vulnerable with than people I've dated in the past well, obviously like that was the past but i also feel a lot more open it's a completely different relationship and so it's possible to have a ds dynamic outside of a romantic relationship or a friendship which is where i come in my work as a professional dom like my clients the people that i work with do come back to me and we have a very strong relationship and it's not like something that they've experienced before. And that's the same for me. Our experiences are our experiences. Tell me about how 
polyamory factors into that. Because I can imagine if you're having this kind of deep, emotional, in some ways, spiritual connection through BDSM, how are you then capable of having any kind of intimate romantic relationships through polyamory that's not centered in that dynamic? Not centered in BDSM? Yeah. At this point, I don't, but that's <laughs> the, the, well, that, or it's, I do meet people and I, and we talk and we have interests. And if it escalates to the point where they would like to try this play with me uh, because they're interested and they have that level of experience and they want to play with me and it's okay, we'll do it. But I'm not really like seeking that out. Like I have that in my relationship and I also do it as a service and I offer it to people. But if it, it happens and um, it does and yeah. Do you have any other partners right now aside from your life partner? Currently, no, but I am. We are dating. We are talking to other people and that's something that's part of our relationship and we mm-hmm. met the people that we're each other is talking to so we know who they are we have what some call it the kitchen table poly where everyone knows who they are and yeah um, there is also a level um, of compersion between us in our relationship where my partner really enjoys seeing the way i interact with other people and also enjoy seeing me work with different people as clients or as collaborators or whatever it may be. And I feel the same way. Oh, so y'all are living the dream. So I am more of a solo poly person. So that's why for me, these dynamics are always super interesting. Would you say there's a kind of hierarchy at play as well with your life partner? Yes. In addition to that kitchen table polyamory, it's like hierarchical and kitchen table at the same time. Yes. This is my life partner and, and Mm. my, responsibilities are in our lives i think that's just has to be clear yeah and so you let new people know like pretty much right off the bat hey (laughs) so cute we're we're together and that's fine but this person is my life partner Mm -hmm. and so there will be levels that will not be equal in this relationship there will be boundaries Mm-hmm. Yeah, because every relationship is different, but the relation there will be boundaries that that have to be in place. Just like the same way in, in every relationship, there are boundaries, or in a BDSM dynamic, people have boundaries where it's I'm comfortable with this. This is what we're doing, and that's how it goes. And you have to be so, able to just communicate your boundaries and and yo, be in situations <laughs> where your boundaries are respected, and be with someone who's also going to communicate their boundaries and respect yours. Oh yeah. And yeah, if you guys don't have compatible <laughs> boundaries, then it's, it's really not going to work out. And I say compatible in the sense where if you say, Hey, I don't like it when we eat fish on Thursdays, they're like, that's cool. I don't like when we eat fish on Thursdays either. Let's just do the thing. As right. someone who's listen, I want to eat fish on Thursday all the time. Thursday's my only fish day. You're ruining my life vibes. Yes, it's a very simplified version of what we're talking yeah, about. That here, was but a you very guys good get. example. <laughs> You're picking up what I'm putting down. <laughs> we both agree that fish on Thursdays is not okay. Yeah. It doesn't mean you can't eat fish Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Friday, Saturday. It just means Thursdays is a no fish day. And yeah. we both are on the same wavelength with that. <laughs> exactly. And so that brings me to something else that 
we also talk about in our workshops and our work together, vetting, like how do you determine who's a good fit or if you're a good fit for someone? It requires vetting. It means like you're going to have to put in some work to find out who this person is and what it is you're looking for. And are you ready to handle that? Are you ready for that type of commitment? And are they ready for that? Use your skills of observation and communication to communicate your boundaries and talk about these things. And we do workshops on these things about once a month because it's really important for the community to to learn about these things and practice these things. And as new things are happening and we're learning new things, we're also incorporating them into our work. Okay. All right. So you're teaching workshops. You know, you and your partner have these situations going on. Yes. Do you usually teach these in person pre-pandemic? No, we started these types of workshops during the pandemic. Pre-pandemic, what we did was we had workshops that was based on rope. And we had these events called Shabari parties, which was based on um, sensual rope. And we would show people, Black people really, how you can use rope to have a good time and how you can do sensual rope performances and also use rope as art. So I was taking pictures of black women in a rope where I would create these elaborate designs. And we had some other rope artists, like one one was a woman who would come and we would just do this work in like in my house, just like create this community where people would come. We would vet the people, find out who they were and, uh, just introduce them to new things and in a safe space. Oh, okay. I'm interested in rope. I, I don't want to officially say I'm into BDSM or I'm a kinkster, mm-hmm. but I do like certain kinds of play. Like I have some type of impact play. I can tell you that if you're clamping anywhere on my nipples or clit, it's a hard no for me. We're going to mm-hmm. have a fight because yeah. I will probably punch you in the throat. But like just like things like that. So I do have things that I'm okay with, things that I'm like, we could try it (laughs) things i'm definitely interested in and things that are hard nose for me so i guess in a way i do have a set of like boundaries for any kind of kinky-esque play that would you have your your yes no maybe list and your hard limits yeah that's what it is and i think everyone should create that yes i would love to try this no not love to try this I would maybe try this if I'm in the right mood and the lighting is right and I've done these things. No, this is a hard limit. Don't even mention this. Like this thing is actually not good for me. It has yeah. connotations. And you can talk about that with people. I think that makes intimacy better Like the, or the act of engaging in kink better. And it's a necessary thing because you're eliminating anxiety because you're talking through this thing. And you're building this trust with someone and you've been clear that you want the same things. Absolutely. You you have to be on the same page with that. And uh, we've talked to Zach Budd, who is also a dominant, mm-hmm. and he was explaining some stuff about his lifestyle to us and the kind of negotiation that takes place and aftercare and not being able to renegotiate in the middle of a scene and things like that, just because you're not in the right headspace to make those kinds of decisions. And you're not playing with people who are too inebriated, just like general rules of how things go so tell me about how you're more of a sensual dominant so tell me more about your play and what's that like so set set a scene for me i am just a baby 
newbie to the vibes. I'm just like, this is what I, my hard limits are, but I'm pretty much open to everything else. What would we do? We've already discussed what we're going to do, how far we're going to take it, come in, masks on, gloved up. And we begin by holding hands and just reiterating what it is that you want to experience with this session. I ask if it's okay to hug you and we begin with a hug. And the scene goes on. My tools are already laid out. We've decided that you want to use the rope first. I unfurl the rope. It falls, rolls open, it hits the floor. You hear the flack. It makes you jump a little. You get nervous, but you're excited. I run the rope across your skin. You feel it and you want more. And then I go into it. I do the rope, whatever the sign that we talk about it. And I'm sorry, I took you out of that experience. That's how it begins. We start very slow pace and we go forward. It depends on if someone wants to be restricted and they want their movement restricted and their arms or legs. And we can do that. Or you can have a decorative tie around your torso and maybe erogenous stones like ties that may squeeze the breast from the sides and from the tops and bottoms. And so you're getting this hug, this full hug all over your body with this rope. And then if you want the impact play with the scene, then I could grab on the rope and you feel like you're being squeezed tighter. And then we go through some spanking using the hands or the flock. We always start with just introducing the implement to the skin so that someone can get used to it. And then and the scene carries on, depending on what types of play, if you're going to do breath play or any other um, sensation play, like wax play. I would do wax play with my clients. I do that a lot, where we use a hot candle wax and they're blindfolded and I drip the wax over them while they're restrained. I'm very excited. <laughs> I've already signed up. <laughs> just saying, just saying. So do you engage in intercourse with people that you were in scenes with or is it just this no this is this is it and i think that people think that kink and bdsm has to include sex or intercourse or no there is nothing of that sort there's no no intercourse between me and these people Listen, I, I always ask because you never know. Some people are like, yes, yeah, sometimes it can be intercourse depending on the person, sometimes not. Not with not, not with my clients, but if you're in a play partnership, you mm-hmm. that's something that you do. Or like with my partner, yes, that's something that you negotiate. You want to talk about that beforehand. But uh, that's right, guys. Negotiation. Boundaries. All of those things. Many play parties or kink parties, you go you go to them and you engage in and the kink, that's it. There is no intercourse. People can be naked, but sometimes there are rules that vulva owners can be naked, but penis owners can only be naked during scenes. You know, just ways to make mm. place feel less charged in in energy that promotes wanting like penetration or just things like that. And removing things like alcohol from play. So that people are just engaged in the act. 
Oh, yeah, absolutely. We definitely don't want anyone making any inebriated choices when it comes to their safety. Because at the end of the day, you have to feel safe in this environment, right? You have to feel comfortable with the person that you're engaging in this scene with and doing the stuff with. And so we've talked about the lead up, the negotiation, what happens when we started your sensual domination. Mm -hmm. And so what does aftercare typically look like? Is it individual to the person or is it just, there's like a, is there some kind of like general aftercare package that we can choose and then it's tailored after that? Yes, there is a general aftercare, which is checking in with someone, like looking at like, hey, how are you talking and helping them regain their footing and their breath, helping them come down, so to speak. And then everything else depends on what they want. Some people want Oreos after a scene, or they want some sour candy. They want water right after a scene, or their favorite juice. It, it really depends on what is going to make this experience the best for you. Okay, and then do you do, I know you do cuddles and hugs before, do you do cuddles and hugs after as yes. well in yes. your role? Okay. So it's going to be lots of touching, lots of cuddling, lots of loving. Love to see it. And then when it comes to leaving the sea, like how long does aftercare typically take? This is a very weird question that I'm asking. And that's just because with the kind of sensual nature of the work that you do, do you find that aftercare lasts longer, quote unquote, than for some other kinds of domination that you've noted? It really okay. depends on how far you actually take the person into the scene and how much energy you expend and how much they need to come down. Okay. So I would often say you want to take 15 minutes to cuddle and like breathe, come down and know what the things are that you're going to do. But it's also important to just know that if you push someone past their limits in a scene, you're going to need a little bit more time for aftercare. Okay. So if you go to a play party, for example, or like a club of some sorts where you're doing scenes like this, is there like a restricted time limit that you usually use for these sorts of situations? You're like, yeah, the scene's only going to be 15 minutes. And so as a result of that, have an idea of how aftercare is going to go and pre-care. I guess I'm calling it pre-care. <laughs> well, yeah. With the sessions, we there is a specific duration. So... We know that, hey, you're going to get at least 15 minutes of aftercare. But someone can say, when we use the color night system, they can say, red, I'm at my limit. I've had enough. I, I need aftercare now, please. Or that can happen. Mm, okay. Okay. So can, is it too intimate to ask what is a favorite scene of yours that you have done? I would say one of my favorite scenes is probably my last scene because every scene I think it probably just gets better or probably they're different for different reasons but this one is fresh in my mind. I had a client who wanted to push her limits and she's someone I've been working with for a while uh, since before the pandemic so she wanted to use uh, nipple clamps and wanted to be restrained and flogged gently on the breasts and use candle wax all over her. That was amazing. 
had a great time. I'm having a great time just hearing about it. So I can only imagine how amazing it was to be in that moment. <laughs> yeah, and it was just, and but the thing was that she also refers like clients to me. So like her friend is a client and then we are in the same room and we all negotiated this and they're happy sharing this experience with, and I loved that. And I bring that up specifically to say that you can experience BDSM with your friends and your friends around because they actually, in between sessions with me, do like parties together and we'll spend time together and, and do things and explore different kinks together. Because you can do that because kink isn't inherently sexual. More gems dropping on the pod. So tell me about your dating life pre-pandemic. What was that like for you? I said, we know you have a life partner. Uh So how were you living and loving pre-Rona? Pre-Rona, I was dating by using apps, meeting people, or reconnecting with people from life on Instagram, stuff like that. And going out on dates and having a good time, but I wasn't in a relationship. My relationship with my life partner is fairly, fairly new. And we had a long vetting process. And as we escalated our relationships, we constantly talked about, okay, this is what I would like. And I'm, I'm comfortable with this. Are you comfortable with that? Yeah. Okay. I agree to that. And so it's a really awesome process. But before this relationship, I was solo poly, just meeting people and and trying to find people who understood that, hey, I'm non-monogamous, I'm ethical about it, I am also into BDSM, and I would lead with that sort of stuff because I don't want anyone to feel caught off guard or not want to be with someone who's engaging in this stuff or or does this stuff or if they think it's weird, I just know, hey, I don't want to interact with you because you don't you don't value this but this is something that's really important yeah i can imagine that so this relationship you said is fairly new and you were mostly solo poly before shout out to the solo people in the house so when you realized the panorama was happening did you immediately shut off dating apps or was it just like a you know gradual process or were you just already checked out at that point Oh, yeah. I was with my partner when we were together. We were spending time together. And so it was just natural to focus on each other and being together and, and making it through this thing. So it was not, it was just a very natural decision. So when did you start dating again then? I know pre pandemic, you were dating. Post pandemic, we're not even at post pandemic yet, but now we are at April 2021. Uh-huh. How are you living and loving now in this moment, aside from your life partner, which we already know? Fantastic person. There's a lot of love there. I can see it, I can hear it. I would say we started this year. I started dating again um, because we felt solid and we had that conversation. And I started talking to people and it's long distance and I, and I like that because I I am busy. It's not to sound like that and I am doing things and there's a lot going on and people are busy and doing things, right? And so finding other people who were like-minded and partnered was uh, important. And even if they aren't, that's also okay. But understanding that, that 
my life is formatted in certain ways with Absolutely. So you are primarily looking for partnered people. Look, I wouldn't even say that I'm like looking for people primarily that they're partnered. It's just that Mm -hmm. that is something that's in common. And I think that when you're partnered, it may be easier to connect with people who are partnered. But there are also people who are not monogamous or who are not partnered, but they may be interested in you and you're dating them. So I am open. I am talking to people who are not partnered. Okay. Now I'm going to turn the show into a dating website. What kind of characteristics do you look for in potential partners? Ability to communicate honesty and sense of humor. Oh, you like to laugh. I'm very funny. I don't know if you noticed that. Let me talk about you. What are the characteristics that you look for? I too like to laugh. I definitely, I'm always the first one to tell a joke, but I'm also the first one to laugh at a joke. <laughs> so there's that. I'm embarrassing. I can't help myself. I need someone who's passionate about what they're into. Like I'm super attracted to passion. That's something that I cannot live without. I definitely want somebody who is willing to communicate and I have difficulty sometimes with keeping up with conversations over periods of time Uh I'm that friend who we will talk today we'll talk for a week straight and then six months will pass and I'll hit you up in six months and be like hey bestie what's up I am that person when I'm in romantic relationships obviously that doesn't work for that situation for most people yeah so i make efforts with that and but i'm honest about my communication style right i'm honest about my capabilities and what i can and can't do and so i need somebody who's honest about that as well yes if that makes sense that makes perfect so if you are somebody who needs me to message you every day I need you to tell me that so that I can pre- I can prepare for that in my mind. Yeah. It might not be a 20-minute conversation or a two-hour conversation every day, but I'll be able to remember to send you a text every day. And so I need someone who's able to honestly communicate what they require in that situation. There needs to be a level of grace <laughs> that comes in me. And I would offer you the same grace. Like I'm not just going to be like, this is all me. If I know you have similar issues, we're going to we're going to prop each other up. We're going to figure this out. That's a but, great approach. Yes. Yeah. So the those are things some of the things that I look for, of course. I think every cis woman or every person who identified as a woman at a certain point in life has seen the Disney idea of what romance and relationships are supposed to be like. There's a princess, there's a prince, there may be some rescuing, there may not be some rescuing, there's all these things that come with it. There was a time when I thought I'd be married and have kids by 25. Thank God that never happened because I don't see how that would have been beneficial to anyone. (laughs) Don't get me wrong, I'm pretty sure I'd be a great mother, but I'd probably resent the fuck out of those kids and we don't want that. Yeah. We don't want that. So. I think we all were raised on this Disney idea Mm -hmm. of what romance relationships are supposed to be like. And especially as... Millennial. Yes. What about if you were of Caribbean descent? My mother has been very open and accepting, which is why I'm so grateful Mm -hmm. for how I was able to grow up because I didn't have that strict Christian Caribbean background most people have. I had that legacy situation where my entire family 
went to the same school. And so obviously I had to go to that school as well. There's no choices for that. Yeah. I didn't mind. I like the legacy portion of it in this situation. It's not where the monarchy or anything. <laughs> but I, I think that there are just things about Caribbean life that make sense to me because it's how I was born and raised. I didn't leave Jamaica until I was 20. Oh, wow. Yeah, nice. Yeah. I spent all of my childhood there my teen years, I had some experience outside of the bubble. And I think that kind of set a strong foundation for me knowing what I would and would not tolerate based on growing up in that Caribbean household, Caribbean expectations, etc. It is so great that you guys think this is how love works. It's not for me, but thank you. <laughs> What was that like for you? I mean, you moved from Dominica when you were 15, you said, correct? Yeah. So when yeah. I was 14, I moved to Miami. When I was 15, I moved to New York. Ugh. I mean, that one year in Miami sounds stressful. Very. It was very stressful. And Miami is a weird place, place, but weird. And New York was cold. So it was much different. But it was okay. I got to meet a bunch of people I would not have been able to meet. I would have been. I would not have been able to explore my queerness, my non-monogamousness. If I wasn't in the States and if I didn't get exposed to writers like Audre Lorde and James Baldwin when I was a teenager, I think I would have had a very different as a young queer man in the Caribbean. Yeah, I, it's definitely a very different experience. That cultural element makes a huge difference in how we are able to approach love and relationships to, to this day. Like, even though you've been in the US for, about half your life you still grew up culturally caribbean <laughs> and that means that you're still going to ultimately make choices from that standpoint despite certain changes i will say because your formative years and your family and all those connections are all this thing these are things that i i'm working to unlearn and i think that is the thing that we have to do as we're growing mm -hmm into ourselves we have to really think about what's our own and what has been put into our heads and our beings and our, our being our thoughts by other people and we want to reject those things that are not native to us that don't make us feel good and that I, I, when I speak about this stuff I love to mention my favorite author Audre Lorde and her poem or her essay uses of the erotic as a source of power really helped me to, to deal with, with that and understanding myself and understanding the things that bring me pleasure and not running away from that and not running away from myself. I've read that. I have two shelves of, I call them my interesting books. The Body Keeps Score, Pleasure Activism, Poly Secure, The Writings of Audre Lorde. In addition to my polyamory bookshelf, which is more... more mostly whitey yeah i was gonna ask do you have you found any black book from books from black authors i have kevin patterson's loves not colorblind gotcha. but that's not really a poly 101 book as much of an exploration of how race presents itself in u.s polyamory culture Ooh, if that makes sense must read least yes link. Oh, yeah, absolutely will. Absolutely. Will. We've had him on the show. We had him on episode 
18 of season one. But yeah, there are a couple of books by people of color, but not all are by Black people, which is an interesting thing because I feel like I had said this to someone before. I said, I feel like in some ways, polyamory is inherently Caribbean, right? Like when you really think about... Wait, please explain. Yes. (laughs) When you really... I mean, I can only speak from a Jamaican experience, born and raised there, but non-monogamy runs rampant in our community. Okay. And there is some layer of ethics to it, despite... Uh um, and And I say this to say that you have songs like my love my mate like mm-hmm. you know that your partner has a wife or has other children or has other partners and this is something that is accepted to a certain degree of course mostly due to patriarchy yeah but the point is that there is an acceptance of this and this is the life you're into and what you're going to get and you don't see it as much like i said on the flip side with women having multiple male partners for this particular scenario because of course heterosexuality is the only way to go in the caribbean go us so you don't see it in the same way but it does also exist where you do have men who will quote unquote allow (laughs) their (laughs) female partners to be with other people Uh of course there are tons of caveats to that no one can ever find out this is embarrassing for all of us etc etc but there is even though it is a secret nation i do think this kind of thing does exist is it healthy that's a whole separate conversation (laughs) but the point is that it exists and if we're talking about polyamory more of like just intimate relationships and community building we have that it, you know, as we said, polyamory is not always sexual, just like how BDSM and kink is not always sexual. It's just intimate. It's a similar sort of situation where we have been using similar principles in our friendships and in our group settings of like family relationships, community upbringing. And we just can't wrap our mind around that and romance and sex. Yeah, I said a lot of words. I don't know. <laughs> maybe they made sense. Maybe they didn't. But I felt like you were picking up what I was putting down. I was. I am. I'm just like, yeah. But yeah, so that, that's what I think. I think that there is a lot of polyamory principles already that exist in our society yeah. that we're just really not cultivating in that. Because it's not ethical and we're not having communication. Yeah, it's, it's that same thing we talk about like in monogamous relationships right there is this expectation without communication that certain things are going to happen right so once you start dating someone it's expected they're going to ask you to be their partner in whatever way that takes Mm -hmm. then it's expected you're going to get engaged and it's expected you're going to get married then it's expected if you decide that children are going to come from that union you're going to buy a house you're going to do all these things there's all these assumptions and things that come without any true communication for what you actually want Because it could be like, hey, I'm totally open to this idea of this thing, except for the fact that I don't want us to buy a house. I just want us to rent. And it's like, we're married. We're supposed to own a house. (laughs) Because someone else said something that was communicated. Did you have that Mm -hmm. discussion? Well, that's something. Yeah, exactly. So it's just, there's a lot of expectations and this assumptions that we come into monogamous relationships with just based on what we've already seen how they're supposed to work through media we have to try to strive for clarity and understanding of the person that we're with 
So regardless if it's poly, polyamory or monogamy, that you really should strive to understand that person and have that, what I like to call overwhelming clarity. This is what I'm feeling. This is how I'm feeling. How are you feeling? Like to really understand that. It's important. I absolutely agree with that. So Lotus, um, tell the people where they can find you. You can find me on Instagram at Lotus underscore Rope Wolf. And you can find me as Lotus underscore Wolf Wolf on Twitter as well. So Instagram and Twitter, that's Lotus underscore Rope Wolf. You can find uh, me at Lotus and Blaine at gmail.com. You can email me or my partner. Okay, this sounds good. So what if people wanted to book sessions with you? Would they do it through social media as well? Or is there like a particular site you want them to go to? You should go through my social media. There is a link in my bio. I have all my upcoming events in the link tree. You can join our Lotus and Blame mailing list through my link tree. And you can fill out the questionnaire to book a session. Now I know what I'm doing tonight. Okay. Of course, thank you so much for being with us. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me. Once again, I'd love to thank Lotus Ropal for agreeing to be on the pod and sharing their journey into non-monogamy and a little bit about sensual domination. I will put all the links where you can find Lotus in the show notes, so you guys can just check that out there. Of course, we'll have basic show notes written under the episode as per usual, but our detailed show notes and transcripts go up on monogamishpod.com. That's where you can find all that information. You can actually even listen to the episodes from there, thanks to Anchor's nifty little embedding feature. Of course, we host using Anchor, but we are distributed wherever you get your podcasts. So Stitcher, Apple, Google, everywhere. For Apple Podcasts, we would especially love it if you would leave us a review and rate us five stars, if you please, because this will help us rise in the rankings and get in touch with lots more non-monogamous people who want to hear what we have to say. So please and thank you with that. Also on our monogamouspod.com site, you can find our shop button, which is where you can find our merch. So you can either click that shop button on monogamouspod.com or head on over to monogamouspod.threadless.com and you can get t-shirts, mugs, bags, you name it, we got it. Some of those designs will be disappearing at the end of this season. So now is literally one of your last chances. Our last episode will be out at the end of June. And then the merch shop will be closed for a couple of weeks so I can put some new stuff in there. So if you guys want to get some limited edition merch, now is a chance. Head on over to monogamishpod.threadless.com or click the chat button on monogamishpod.com site. Now for our social media links. You can find us on Twitter and Instagram at monogamishpod. We have a Facebook page that we post on. So you can search for monogamishpod on Facebook and like us there. I'll post some updates there as well. You can be with us on Patreon. Be be a member of the Monogamish Pod community. Head on over to Patreon, patreon.com slash monogamishpod. You're an 18 plus platform, so that means that you have to type it into your search browser just like that. You can't just head on over to Patreon and search for us. It doesn't work. And that's where you can find bonus clips, bonus episodes. You can get merch if you've been a Patreon of that tier for a certain period of time. So just saying there's some benefits to come with that and i will be focusing more on patreon content over the summer in the off season for monogamish so that's definitely something for you guys to look forward to so you probably heard me mention it earlier like i said the episodes are going to continue for the rest of june but that last wednesday june 30th just so you guys know that is season finale season two's season finale will be then 
So that's something that you guys need to look out for. I'm going to have a special episode with one of your favorite guest hosts. So that's going to be super great. Can't wait to share that with you guys. I do have one more interview coming out. And I also have two bonus episodes from altplayground.net here for you guys. So all that's coming out before June 30th. So I hope you guys are ready for some double stuff. Not finished. That's exactly what's going to happen for you. So where can you find moi? I'm at Happy Met Jen on Twitter and Instagram. And of course, you can find me on my website, www.haveyoumetjen.com. Special shout out to our podcast partners, YouTube Bright, amazing clothing line. Head on over to youtubebright.com, put in code monogamish and get 10% off your order. Shout out to Andre Marchucci and the Shelf Love Podcast for being a wonderful resource for me, honestly. Like, we're both doing the podcasting thing. We're doing it big. I love you, Andrea. We, we got this. And also, I love romance novels. So if you, too, love romance novels, check out Shuffle Podcast. And finally, always want to thank altplayground.net. Remember, Taboo Social Club, reopening this weekend, June 18th and 19th. Check it out. Head on over to altplayground.net and get all the details there. So thank you for rocking with me today. Once again, I'm Jen and you've been listening to Monogamish Pod. Bye everyone.